0: We're live, we're live.
1: We are live. Welcome back, Kevin Perry and Johnny Sig here. We're gonna talk about you know the marvelous one, Marvin Hagler. Man, what a big blow to the boxing world and just the world in general. What a great, great fighter! You know, people talk about him as the best middleweight of all time. You know what? He might have been one of the best fighters of all time. Look at that record 62 3. To, with 52 KOs, fought everyone, and was part of the Four Kings. We'll get into that in a moment, and we're also going to break down what had transpired in boxing recently and what's forthcoming. Enjoy, people.
0: Yeah, so what? first things uh first we're we're going to get into um the life of uh Marvin Hagler, who is one of the greatest middleweight champions and also one of the greatest uh champions in the history of boxing. Uh he died in the last week or so and it's a, a huge blow to uh the sport of boxing and just to the world in general. I mean, he he definitely uh went uh far too soon and he was somebody that uh everybody in the boxing world respected a lot. Let's check out a uh, a little tribute video to uh, Marvin Hagler.
1: That's what I feel, war. That's what's on my mind. Unbelievable! Middleweight champion of the world, Marvelous Marvin Hagler! other goosebumps watching that i mean look at that career he fought everyone and we'll get into that in a moment about how like a lot of people don't fight everyone nowadays um
0: a lot of people they just don't even fight period actually yeah
1: inactivity i mean you know The Marvelous One, I mean, look what he did even after boxing. He moved to Italy, became like the Arnold Schwarzenegger. As my boy Billy C. said, you know, on his podcast the other day, like, he went over to Italy and became, like, an action film star. Uh, Great guy. It's hard to imagine someone that was so full of life and the way he fought. Like, I mean, look at the fight with John the Beast, Magami, man. Come on, dude. Like, Those fights were remarkable, and the obvious one everyone wants to talk about all the time is Hagler Hearns. I mean, you know, I mean, that that was a crazy fight. Uh, It blew off right off the mat, you know, right off the jump, like three rounds of just chaos, and, you know, I get choked up talking about it, Kev. I mean, this this was a bizarre loss to me because he seemed so young, still looking great, and just so full of life.
0: It was so unexpected, and and also um, I think because he's somebody that's been kind of a a very private person. I think that's what kind of threw everybody uh, into a little bit of a shock because a lot of, a lot of the former fighters they are still kind of around, and you know you'll see them in little videos here and there, and they're still engaging um, with the public. But I, I think that's almost like Hagler's always kind of been like more of a private guy, not flamboyant, just kind of a, a lunch pail type of, uh, fighter, you know, go and do his job and handle his business in the most professional manner as possible. And I think that's somebody that everybody in boxing always kind of looks to as um, a positive model of, you know, if you want to bring up a fighter, you wish that you had somebody like Marvin Hagler, you know, uh, that, that you were kind of managing or training and whatnot.
1: Blue collared guy always brought the lunch pail to work. Uh, you know, you look at fights, you know, um, the big, you know, controversial one is him against Sugar Ray Leonard. I mean,
0: it was a great fight just because of the anticipation of the fight. I mean, people waited uh, so long and it, did, and it did actually deliver, you know. I mean, there was definitely ebbs and flows and, you know, uh, Hagler fought in probably a little bit different of a manner that you, you would have expected early. And he did lose some of the early rounds. I think he was fighting orthodox and, um People felt that, you know, if you're a Southpaw, it's probably better for you to use that as your advantage. But he felt that he could go in there and outbox Leonard, beat him at his own game. And some of those early rounds, uh, he did lose. And I thought he started coming on late. Um, and, and and what's funny is um, that's one of those fights that, to this day, I mean, it's still split down the middle. I mean, it's still disputed on who won that fight. It's um, I mean, it's just so intriguing to me how... Boxing just stands the test of time. Um, even so for I'll, I'll use this as an example. so that's a fight that you said you've you probably watched, I don't know maybe probably 20, 30 times, I'm sure. Um, how many other sports is there a sporting event that you can watch more than once? I can't really think of any other sport besides uh, boxing. Uh, maybe mixed martial arts is kind of similar. In that sense, com- combat sports uh, in general, um, even professional wrestling, you could watch an old fight. But there's just so much nostalgia, like with these guys. Um, and I, I really wish that today's boxing could really bring some of that back because Marvin Hagler was such a great champion, um, and he's just going to be missed by by everybody because he he gave us so much joy and and he really brought brought his uh, his best, you know, every time out.
1: He fought everyone, and that's a great point you're making, Kev, is that, you know, with boxing, it has rewatch value. Like, I could rewatch, you know, uh, Trinidad versus Vargas and, you know, Holyfield versus Tyson numerous times, and because it's like we're studying things. Like, you know, it's a big event because things build up to those events where you're like oh man I've been waiting six months a year or however long it takes to get to that point you know I mean people play baseball every day and I love baseball people you know play football well you know once a week obviously and I love football sometimes you can re-watch those things and obviously the the players study the tape but as a fan from nostalgia, I mean, maybe it's because I'm diehard with boxing, but I could always go back and, and watch a fight um, numerous times over and over again. Like, for example, perfect example is I was watching Ali Frazier won the other day. I've seen that fight numerous times. Every single time I watch that fight, I take away something different every single time. What Ali was doing, what Frazier was doing, the uh, the whole impact of the event, was so amazing and just like the atmosphere and what those guys gave and also another two fights thereafter especially the third one I mean wow uh the whole thing is that you know Marvin Hagler is that old school like you said bro you said it best you know he's bringing his lunch pail to work blue collared he'll fight anyone anytime anytime And that's what the sport of boxing needs. And we talked about, you know, the Sugar Ray fight, you know, regardless of what anyone thinks about the uh, verdict, you know, that made Hagler just kind of say, you know what, man, I'm, I'm over this. I'm going to go and and do a film career in Italy and move over there. And he did a great job. You know, I, have seen some of his films. And you
0: know what too, um, some, uh, some of the greats, they, they knew when to, uh, and i i mean obviously he he did lose the fight on the scorecards but in reality he went out on top so you have to give him a lot of credit for that because there's a lot of fighters that they just don't know um once they hit their peak and then they they kind of go uh, below their peak they just still keep going and sometimes sometimes that's uh because they love the sport sometimes that's because they need money i think in marvin hagler's case he felt that um He achieved uh, everything that he thought he was going to achieve in the sport of boxing, and he was going to get out the right time. And he got—you have to definitely respect him for that.
1: Yeah, look at like you know Lennox Lewis did the same thing. Um, There's only a few fighters that had you know first of all a nice bankroll, you know, to get out at the right time, and then also understand when it was kind of time to hang it up. I don't think Hagler necessarily you know, was shopworn. I, I, I thought he did a great job in the Leonard fight. And I'm going to be one of those guys that say, like, you know, I thought Hagler won it. But, uh, I mean, no disrespect to Sugar Ray. I mean, he's one of the best to ever do it. But, <clears throat> excuse me, he knew it was time to um, – to get out and go on to different things. Like maybe he was over the politics and all the stuff that goes along with boxing, but Kev, speaking about politics, we'll get in there in a moment, not the actual politics that go on in the world, but the politics of boxing, uh, we'll get there for sure. But let's talk about the results of the week, man. I mean, Virgil Ortiz. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Virgil Ortiz, um, Good young fighter. I think he he moved his record to 17 and 0. Um beat 17 Maurice
1: knockouts. With, yeah. with so 17 knockouts, yeah. I forgot yep.
0: about that. 17 and 0 and 17 knockouts. And he's got a pretty uh pretty entertaining style. He's with uh, Gold Golden Boy Promotions, which is a uh, Oscar De La Hoya is the CEO of the company. And then everybody knows who Oscar De La Hoya is, one of the Uh, great Hall of Famer, one of the all-time greats in boxing, one of the most popular fighters of of his own era. And um, this guy looks to be uh, his next top, you know, top, uh, or potentially uh, future world champion. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I think they're going to have to slow him down a little bit, but this was definitely a good performance for him. He's only 22 years old, so I don't think you need to rush and put him in there with guys like Terrence Crawford or Errol Spence. Not saying that he doesn't have uh, a shot at beating those guys, but I, I definitely think he needs a little bit more seasoning. Um, but uh, beating Maurice Hooker, who's a former uh, champion at 140 pounds, was a good step up for him. Um, he, d- he did have some rough patches here and there, but he broke the guy down. He got the knockout. Um, what, what were your thoughts on that fight, John?
1: Well, you said it right there. Like, he's flawed in Virgil Ortiz is that he's flawed and that's what makes him TV friendly because, you know, he gets hit and he hits back and he makes adjustments. Uh, great body attack. Um, You know, young, hungry. Like you said, also at 22 years old, like... His, you know, his,
0: his offense is kind of like his defense. But absolutely. A, but he's not a terrible defensive fighter. I mean, he does move his, you know, um, he moves his head. Uh, he keeps his hands high. He's a pretty basic... Type of defense, but with the style that he has, I mean, you can't expect him to be Floyd Mayweather throwing all those punches that he throws. So the defensive style that he uses works with uh, his very offensive uh, volume punching style. Uh, and, any other thoughts on uh, that performance from uh, from Ortiz, and, and what what did you think of Maurice Hooker's performance?
1: Maurice tried to do the best he could. It was a competitive fight. Uh, You know, for Ortiz, like you said, he should not try to be a Floyd Mayweather. There are certain people that have athletic ability to uh, put on that kind of performance, like, you know, a Mayweather, if you will, performance like a Roy Jones or whatever. Uh, Virgil Ortiz is not that guy. Uh, But I think that the thing for him to do is to stick with learning, You know, go to the drawing board every single time, every single time you go to training camp. I mean, listen, this kid at 22 years old is ferocious. Again, 17-0, 17 knockouts. He's doing something right, okay? Um, As far as trying to be, like, the most versatile boxer on the planet, yeah, he could work on defense better. You mentioned the high guard. Like, he does keep his hands up really, really well, but he also shoots to the body extremely well. Um, I'd like to see him... Against and you're pulling up the, the names right now. Um, uh, I think like you know, we talked uh, you know offline the other day, like uh Ugas or like a Josito Lopez, you know, Elipinets, he's he's got like a little bit of work to do. What 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 about um putting him in there with David
0: uh, I'm such a hard time pronouncing these names? Go ahead. Um, okay, he's from where where is he based out of
1: right now? He's training in Miami, I believe.
0: Um, no, that's Ugas. Uh, he's he's based out of the UK, but I believe he is Armenian by nationality. But he's a he's a pretty good fighter. Um, he's fought some pretty decent competition. He actually just stopped uh, the upcoming UK prospect in Josh Kelly, who was undefeated. So um, he's a pre- I mean, he's number six in the world. That's the guy that I see. That um, just because a lot of the fighters in the top ten. They're going to demand a lot of money. So um, I don't see him facing Terrence Crawford. I don't see him facing Errol Spence. I don't see him facing Sean Porter. I mean, none of those guys are going to fight a prospect. I mean, it really just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, Mikey Garcia, you know, he's chasing big fights. Uh, Ugas, I believe, has a fight scheduled. I'm not 100% certain. Um, Danny Garcia is moving up to 154 pounds. Uh, Jesse Vargas. That's actually a good fight. What do you think about that? Does that seem like a good option for Ortiz as a step-up? Is that a step-up or a Uh, step-down? How do you feel there?
1: I think it's good as a step-up. And, you know, for Vargas, who I respect and all that kind of good stuff, like he's had experience and, you know, we know the track record with Vargas, uh... I, I think obviously Ortiz wins that fight it, it would be good experience but what does that really do to push the needle forward in terms of like getting like kind of like name recognition like you know you mentioned like great fighters like Sean Porter who I really respect and Danny Garcia who I respect as well you know uh I think that those are the names they should go after to keep like people buzzing like because that's what boxing needs right now man like I think
0: they're gonna I think they're gonna go out there and try to make it appear like they're looking for those names. But I think in reality, Oscar De La Hoya knows he can't make deals, um, with any of those fighters at this point. Um, you know, Ortiz is still kind of building his profile. He's not a big name. Um, doesn't have a whole lot of really significant fights. Um, he, he, he needs to beat a Jesse Vargas in my opinion. Um, To get the attention of the public, you know, uh, Jesse Vargas is a former world champion. He's a veteran. He's fought Manny Pacquiao. He's fought uh, Mikey Garcia. Um, And he's somebody that he's not a big name, but he's definitely a bigger profile name than um, Amorese Hooker. And at the same time, I I think that Jesse Vargas is kind of he needs a, a, a big win also. So I think they're, it's kind of a crossroads. It's a veteran, former world champion and an upcoming guy kind of meeting at the crossroads and seeing who's going to kind of get into the top 10. I, th- I think both those guys and even you see on the, uh, the box rec here, both guys are on the cusp of the top 10. Uh, Jesse Vargas, the computer has Jesse Vargas at uh, number eight. For anybody that doesn't know, box rec is the computerized rankings, but... It's it's pretty accurate for the most part. I mean, most of these guys are somewhere in the top 20 or should be in the top 20, you know, give or take, you know, two, three spots uh, up or down. So um, any anything else uh, jump out at you there? Or do you, you want to move on or?
1: Well, I mean, my thing is that, you know, I, I like to see Ortiz, you know, step up and, like I said, get that name recognition, like, that makes him a household name or makes him a little bit more with notoriety. And, like, Jesse Vargas is certainly a name that has, you know, for the diehards. But, you know, I need to see my homies, like, you know, Errol Spence go out there, Terrence Crawford. This is what we're talking about, like, before when we started the show to bookend a little bit about, you know, the first segment here is that, you know, you know, those guys used to fight back in the day, the Haglers, the Hearns. Like, you know, if you look at the ages in which they fought, you know, not I'm, I'm not talking about like the age and error, I'm talking about like the age in which they fought in their early 20s. Like, these guys were up and coming and they threw the fucking nuts and guts out there to the world, the gusto, you know, to hear like, um, I'm a huge Terrence Crawford fan, like, make no mistake. But to hear him say, "I don't ever want to fight Earl Spence again," or rather, just in general, rather he's not going to—he's not entertaining this Well, John, this talk. Well,
0: John you, but, you, but you do have to remember, um, put to put things in context. There, mm-hmm. Earl Spence was asking for sixty percent of the purse, and then he went to uh, they. He did some interview and he said he wanted eighty percent. So, I mean, at that point, um, and I don't want to put all the blame on Earl Spence, but when somebody makes a comment like that, and you both are legitimate world champions you kind of are like um pricing yourself out of the fight because i mean any person with i mean at the at the end of the day it's a business so if you were a professional fighter would you let your somebody who's your equal take 80 percent of the money i don't think no
1: you go 50 50 or at least or at
0: least least work something out 60
1: 40 yeah
0: reasonable i mean I mean, if obviously if you're getting a billion dollars and he said take twenty percent of a billion, you might think about it, but it under those circumstances only
1: <laughs> you know what I agree with you, bro. Let's move on to uh Arthur Bedabiev, who just did his thing, you know. Uh another one that's uh got nothing but knockouts on his record, 16-0, sixteen and oh, sixteen KOs. He's,
0: and he's the the WBC and the WBO or no, or is he uh... There's just so many belts. I mean, it just makes me dizzy. But, it's impossible.
1: But it's just impossible it, to keep just up with it. But let's just
0: call him the unified light heavyweight champion. Uh, the other belt, I believe it's the WBA belt, belongs to Dimitri Bevel. But uh, Turbiev beat a pretty game German in Adam uh, or
1: mm-hmm.
0: I guess that's...
1: Gaines, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of things we but can but say like, here. In
0: way, I mean, he, he was an unknown <laughs> opponent. Uh, who had one loss in his record I believe he was 19 and one with about eleven or twelve knockouts.
1: That is correct. Yeah,
0: I mean he really gave he he made Beterbiev look a little bit rusty. I mean he really did. I mean he was moving well. Um I I think based on what I saw there, it's one of those where I think Canelo was kind of licking his lips a little bit licking his chops and seeing, you know, if if this guy who's with who's a base you know basic uh basic fundamentals you know moving southpaw landed some pretty good you know left hands here and there was able to move uh for maybe six seven rounds and kind of stay out of harm's way until you know his gas tank uh got a little bit low and he started getting hit a little bit more but but had looked like he was plotting a lot and um i think canelo could i'm not saying canelo would entertain the fight but i think it's one of those situations where um like when Canelo was going to fight Triple G and he kind of dumped his belt in the trash and uh, he waited for Triple G to kind of start slipping a little bit. I I, I saw some slippage there that, that might have been um, inactivity. I believe he was out of the ring for about 19 months, which is, especially for a guy at his age, I believe he's 36 years old. Um, that's a long time to be out of the ring. And he's 36 years old and he only has... 16 professional fights. So what, what's your thoughts? Where, where does he go? I, I don't even think we really need to talk too much about the fight itself. I mean, it was a very workmanlike performance from him, and he got a knockout, I believe, in the ninth round uh, from a, a counter hook, I believe. Um, where, does, where does he go next? Where, is he just going to kind of sit around and fight you know, another mandatory or is there a unification with B-ball down uh down the line? Where, where, where does he go?
1: Well, I think that they're trying to match him up with Joe Smith, uh, you know, if he gets past his assignment coming up uh, that he has on ESPN coming up. And I think that's a very good fight, workman-type fight. But let me just, like, say this, a point you made that is a very great point. This guy, you know, and better be, has not been in the ring. In over 500 days. And some people are like, you know, they're trying to get rounds in. He's trying to get rounds. And I'm like, you know, if you're a fighter, man, you fight. You ain't fucking around. You ain't trying to play with your food. You're just trying to go for it, bro. Like, if you get someone out of there, you get them out of there quick. I don't care what anyone fucking tells me. Like, yes, if you're, like, sparring, maybe you want to get some rounds. But if you're actually competing on national television at a world-class level... OK, and like you had mentioned, his opponent had only one loss. That's a world class level. You know, um, people could say who did the opponent fight, you know, at the end of the day, he got to that point where he was on ESPN. So you don't you don't take anyone lightly like you don't fuck around there like it, it's dangerous territory um, for better be I, I think he's a very, very skillful fighter. I think he showed ring rust. You know, he got the stoppage in the 10th round. Uh, he got a knockdown early. Um, in the in the first round, he put his opponent down. He showed his great you know attributes and skill set, but I mean, who does he go to after this? Well, I, I think that you know again, if uh, Smith Junior. comes out, you know, triumphant with his assignment yeah. uh, on ESPN soon, I think that that's the logical thing because of, again. I don't want to get into the political side of boxing, but network divides. They're on the same network, so yeah. I think that's the most and that's logical. Good,
0: and that's a that's a good style matchup because Joe Smith is a puncher. They're both punchers. I mean, it's gonna be like two planes just flying right into each other, and we're gonna see which one blows up first. So I, that, I kinda,
1: that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I,
0: I like I like that fight. If but he obviously he has a pretty tough opponent um in Maxim Vlasov, uh, Vlasov that he's going to be fighting and I, I believe that guy's only has a couple losses and he's you know he's a, a pretty good veteran so that's, that's a uh, very tough fight. It's definitely not a, a gimme by any means. So whichever guy wins I think is actually going to be um a pretty solid opponent. It's obviously um neither guy is a huge name but um it's still a it, it'll be a good fight for the hardcore boxing fans and whoever wins out of those maybe they can get up, uh, put B-ball in there with with those guys who's just it's just very difficult when you have two guys that are kind of from opposite sides of the street and they don't bring anything to the table as far as uh being a draw so hope but hopefully we can get some of these unifications in a light heavyweight division and see um and maybe in the next year or so some of these these other 168 guys might move into the picture you know possibly a a ben, uh, Jose, or not a Jose, uh, David Benavidez, uh, who's a, a great, uh, former champion, but he's undefeated, lost his title on the scales and, uh, possibly Canelo, if he can kind of clean out most of these 168 pounders, like, uh, B- Billy Joe Saunders. Um, let, let's, let's go, go into that actually, but I want to introduce a segment that we're going to have on this show from now on, and it's called the sauce. And basically what the sauce is, is kind of like, us mixing our opinions on different things going on in the boxing world. Like you would make a big soup or you would make a a big pasta sauce, but we're just throwing in bell peppers and, you know, tomatoes and onions. And so it's kind of our take on the boxing, you know, but in a saucy kind of, a saucy kind of way. So um, kind of the way we do things here on KO Nation. So, John, um, what do you want to talk about as far as, like, What's the sport going to look like in the next six months? What what fights that have not been scheduled do you see kind of coming to fruition? Or what fights that have not been on the schedule yet would you like to see happen before the end of the year? Kind of push us in a direction, create some excitement for us for, the, for um, the rest of this year. Obviously, we're just in the first quarter, but there's a lot of fights that have not been um, announced. So maybe... Maybe send a message out there to these promoters, you know? Let, let, let's see where we can go here.
1: Well, guys, we all know I'm a fan of the UFC, okay? We got Stip Yochek versus Francis Ngannou in the heavyweight division coming up this weekend. That's the best fight they could possibly make in the UFC at the heavyweight ranks. And the UFC has also rolled out great fights at any weight class Male or female, it doesn't matter. They're just doing it. Boxing, what I need you to do is I want to ask you a question right now. Where the fuck is my Tyson Fury versus Joshua fight? Where is all these other fights that should happen? You know, and I'm not trying to, like, throw out hater tots and, and, you know, haterade and all that kind of shit. But I want to say, like, it's time that we roll out the big fights. You know, Spence. Come on, man. Spence and Terrence Crawford. Like, I could go on and on about the list of fights that need to happen. And, you know, luckily, I have to say this for my sport the people that need the paychecks have been showing up. Adam Lopez, you know, great, great job. He's been out there working. There's a lot of fighters that have been out there working and they're setting up like smaller scale fights, but at least they're doing it during COVID times. Like, All our marquee boxers, like our top names, yes, we are getting Canelo. A lot of people are probably saying right now, Well, we got Canelo, Billy Joe Saunders. Come on, bro! Like, I mean, his style might complicate you know certain things for Canelo, but we know what's going to happen there. And at the end of the day, like, look, let's take a look at Billy Joe Saunders. I'm gonna tell you how I really feel right now. This guy's dysfunctional, he's abusive. You ever see what he done to women on the streets and things that he says? Come on, man. You know, my thing is that, you know, I I don't want to see a guy like Billy Joe Saunders get a payday. And I hope I I get to see him get his ass whooped straight up. Because I know certain things about him behind the scenes that I am not happy with. And I think he's a scumbag. And I hope Canelo, which I know he'll do, is take his head off, but that doesn't do anything for me aside from the satisfaction of seeing Billy Joe Saunders lay on the mat and get destroyed. So, so,
0: so John, you don't think uh, Billy Joe Saunders has any shot at beating Canelo Alvarez? You don't give him? Uh, you think? Fuck that's no. A, you think that's no. Six, I Think that's a six or seven to one fight, or is that a three to one? Or what? What would you place the odds on that one? I, I think Billy Joe Sa- Saunders is a very live underdog based on his style. Um, And I think he kind of, the problem with him is he fights at the level of his opposition. But when I saw him uh, fight David Lemieux, I mean, I thought he looked amazing. I mean, the way that he was fighting, the skills, I mean, he was using his jab, he was moving at angles. I mean, David Lemieux could not hit him. I mean, he really could not get set. And I think that's how you have to fight Canelo. You cannot let Canelo get set where he, he gets his one-twos off, his combinations. Um, I think you even brought up the other day that Canelo hasn't really been throwing as many combinations since he's moved up in weight. And I think against Billy Joe Saunders, he's going to have to throw combinations because I think what... And I think Billy Joe Saunders is very good at that southpaw style, keeping his you know his right foot on the outside of your lead foot. Um, he doesn't do anything that is very special, but he's very tricky. He's kind of – I think he's from kind of the same – I don't know if he's from the same stable, but I believe he's kind of been around Tyson Fury, and they've kind of done a lot of training together and stuff. So – I respect Tyson Fury. He's got a big puncher, but he's tough. I mean, he's a tough guy. And Mm -hmm. if he's in really good condition, and that's really the question mark with him is his conditioning – um, I think he'll give Canelo some uh, some problems. I, I don't, but I I can't perceive him winning a decision against Canelo Alvarez. I mean, obviously, I'm, no. Yeah.
1: L- and let me let me tell you this, brother. Is that you know? Listen, as much as I was just talking shit about Billy Joe Saunders, I don't like the way he conducts himself outside the ring, and it really bothers me, and it makes me not a fan. Yes, he does have good boxing skill, and yes, he is friends with Tyson Fury, who I have a lot of respect for. You know, especially considering all the things and trials and tribulations that Tyson Fury went through. Okay. Billy Joe Saunders has a style that will complicate a little bit to Canelo because we've seen it in the past. Israel and Alara, other boxers like Floyd Mayweather, they give him complications, but. I think the major thing is that look how much Canelo has grown over the years, how powerful he is, how passionate and committed to the game. I mean, you look at Billy Joe Saunders, like, yes, he's unbeaten. Fine. I, I'll accept that. But what's his passion? Like, like how committed to this game has he really been? And what has he really proven? Yeah, he beat David Lemieux, but David Lemieux doesn't use angles. Canelo does. And also, David Lemieux has – God, he's a one-trick pony. He's got power. But Canelo has many, many tricks yeah, and many does, tools. He does have you know.
0: uh, many wrinkles, but many more wrinkles to his game than David Lemieux. Absolutely. But, uh, but I just wanted to bring that up because that was his best uh, performance, and I believe that was probably the best opponent that he's fought, except for maybe Chris Eubank when he beat him. But that was kind of on their way up, so I don't really put too much stock into that because obviously – uh he's improved quite a bit and he's fighting at a bigger weight class. So um, that's obviously going to factor in uh, his conditioning. So um, it, it's definitely going to be interesting. Uh, and that, that fight is in May, correct?
1: Yeah, that fight is in May, um, you know, right around Cinco de Mayo, you know, which uh, we all love to see, you know, fights and, and have the celebration for that amazing holiday. And yeah, especially I'm, I'm gonna, when you
0: I'm have, gonna say, I'm going to say something about that whole deal. Um, why, why isn't this fight at Allegiant Stadium in our home of Las Vegas? So, I mean, shouldn't that be here?
1: Purse bids, brother. You know, site fees. Uh, AT&T, you know, they, they pay for it yeah. in yeah. Dallas. They're going to have 60,000 people there.
0: Why can't they have 60,000 people here?
1: Vegas is not allowing that right now. The thing is, Texas oh, that's, is.
0: That's, uh, oh, yeah. that's Yeah, we, we yep. know what that's about, right? Politics. Yeah.
1: Anyways, yep. let's move on. Yeah, yeah, it's Texas and Florida. If you yeah. want to if you guys want to fight in America, I'm going to tell you right now, Texas and Florida is the place to fight.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Sisalack, are you listening? Anyways, um moving on. So, mm-hmm. anything else you want to talk about, John? Uh, would you like to talk about Fury and Joshua or you want to leave that to the next show? We'll go into that.
1: You know what I will go there in a moment but I want to give a shout out to uh Ring City Boxing, NBC. You know, they're doing a great production over there and there was an excellent fight with uh Angel Fierro and then also uh Alberto Machado Oh, and-
0: I, I saw I saw some footage from that. That was that looked like a a pretty gr- really good scrap. I'm tr- I, I hope That's a lot amazing. of people see that.
1: Dude, that that fight was a firefight. I mean, we had two knockdowns in the first round, and then you know a stoppage that ended up, I think, in the fourth round. And it was just like one of those barn burners, bro. Like, you know, it reminded me of like old school, like Tuesday night fights, even though it was on a Thursday in this case. But they're they're doing a great job over there. Like they got them in Puerto Rico, you know, and a beautiful uh, environment. And all the people involved, you know, Evan Rutowski, Brian Campbell, Joe Papa, Sean Porter, like they're doing a dynamite job and we're getting really good fights. And they have another one coming up uh, this week with uh, Amanda Serrano. And oh, yeah. I'm That's looking for
0: like. Um, I mean, for, for free TV, I mean, I'll take anything I can get. But Amanda Serrano for as far as women fighters goes, I mean, she's one of the I mean, she's one of the best, obviously, because, I mean, she's in the probably top five pound for pound. But that's not what I... I don't care about her pound for pound status. She puts on entertaining fights. And she's one of the few women boxers that actually scores knockouts. I believe she has about 25, 26 knockouts and about almost 40 wins. And, I mean, most... I mean, and I I don't want to be disparaging here, but most women can't crack an egg when it comes to boxing. I I don't know. I think think we talked about that, what the reasoning behind that was. Uh, My reasoning is... The rounds, the length. That was one thing I brought up was uh, the length of the rounds. I think if you had three-minute rounds for women, uh, they would score more knockouts. I think uh, if there was uh, 12-round fights, there would be more knockouts because obviously there's two more rounds to score a knockout. And I think... uh, just from in general i mean i'm i'm married uh, you're you're married also um women have smaller hands than men but in the same similar weight classes they actually wear the same size gloves and i think if they wore smaller gloves it, it would still protect the hands but i just i think uh for a woman welterweight to be wearing the same size glove as a male i just don't i think it's kind of counterproductive um I think this whole idea that um, w- women in the sport of boxing, they want equality, and I think they should have equality. But if they want the equality, my opinion is and, – and other women has se- have said this as well. There's a lot of professional women boxers who don't want to fight two-minute rounds because when they spar in the gym, they don't spar two-minute rounds. Many of them spar three-minute rounds mm-hmm. four-minute rounds.
1: Or and plus, mid- yep, and plus. And,
0: exactly. So – I think a lot of them are, or at the very least, I think um, something that could be changed is um, in championship fights, I think that's what, where they should try out having women fight three-minute rounds and in, 12-round uh, in fights. I think it's something that the WBC, hear me, WBC, uh, should try <laughs> out. Um, and the WBC has been very good at kind of revolutionizing certain things in boxing. Obviously, people love to, uh, criticize the sanctioning bodies, but they have made some contributions to the sport of boxing. So I, I don't always want to be somebody who's cynical all the time. Um, some of these sanctioning bodies have done some very positive things, like you know the Clean Boxing Program, for example. Um, so yeah, what what what, what other things? Uh, just I'm just I just want to kind of move into that real quick. Uh, what are some of the positive things? that the sanctioning bodies have brought to the sport of boxing, at least recently anyways. So I'll answer answer
1: that question in a moment, but I just want to touch on what you said about the ladies. I've had a lot of female boxers and mixed martial artists come on the show recently, and they are very passionate. And they're saying exactly what you're saying. They want a jockey for that position to get the extended rounds, uh, you know, the lower ounce gloves. And they pretty much want to be treated like the men are treated in the sport, not only for the pay, but for the passion. Like there, there's something I, I gauged when I was talking to these ladies. Well, and, and,
0: yeah. No, I, I understand what you're saying. Like not to yeah. cut you off, just to add just real quick is um they're putting in the work. So if yes. they put in the work, they deserve to be respected. And And I think it's kind of a situation where, they're short changed a little bit because they're fighting the two minute rounds and they're not fighting the same amount of rounds as men, and it's not looked at in the same manner. It's kind of making them not look equal. And I think that's become like a big problem because if you look at women's MMA, women's MMA is not like that.
1: It's treated uh, they, just like the men. Yeah, they do the same like rules. The yep. Uh,
0: so sorry to cut you off there, John. Continue.
1: No, it's all good. You're right. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up because they treat them in the MMA. They treat the ladies just like they treat the men. You know, uh, non-championship bout, they go three rounds at five minutes. Championship bout, they go five rounds at five minutes. There's no difference. And I think that's why we get a little bit more electrifying, you know, uh, sensations as a viewer to watch – you know the female mma and i'm not crapping on women's boxing because listen i support it like you know the women i've had on my show like they gave me so much about the insight and a whole new appreciation brother like let me tell you something these girls man they came from the same things that men went through they came from the same things that anyone went through struggles trials tribulations all this type of stuff, and they're fighters. And guess what, Kev? They could probably kick your and mine ass at the same time, you know? And uh, that I got to give them credit for that. Like they, they, uh, they'd, run, they'd run me out of
0: the ring, John.
1: Absolutely, Kev. You'd have no chance. <laughs> These ladies were so amazing. And, um, you know, I wanted to go back and touch on something you asked me before, about what my thoughts are on Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua. Okay. Obviously, they're going to wait for a crowd to be in attendance because that's the gate. That's how they make a lot of money. Like the pay-per-view, yes, will do well, but the gate makes a lot of money. There's more incentives, you know. And I'm not pretending to be like a guy that knows all about this, but it's common fucking sense. Um, So what happens here with this fight, Um, I think that Tyson Fury will triumph he always finds a way i think that joshua's got good power i think he burns his gas tank out you know and he's got situations with that that needs to be repaired he's got a lot of muscles that requires a lot of oxygen tyson fury is a very loose guy like he could absorb punishment he could take shots he's got a great chin all that kind of stuff um and he also knows how to box, especially for a big man. He's got very, you know, he's he's got agility, and and that's what really angles win mean, fights.
0: I, I but I do think that uh, Anthony Joshua is being uh, highly overlooked here, and part of that is uh, I've seen some improvements. Like even his last fight, he looked pretty good against Kubrat uh, Pulev. Obviously, it's Kubrat Pulev, but um, he fought almost like. Flawlessly against Ruiz in the uh, in the rematch, even though it wasn't entertaining at all, he definitely um, he pretty much neutralized any offense that Ruiz was Ruiz just could not get off. So so pretty much, I I think it's going to be um, very interesting for the fact that I think Joshua's boxing ability has improved a lot and his tactics. I think he's um, a little bit more patient. I don't think he's just going to go in there just thinking he's going to try to tear off, uh, you know, Tyson Fury's head. I think he's going to be able to box with him, and I, and he's the bigger puncher. So, to me, I mean, this is as 50-50 of a heavyweight fight uh, as it gets. I know that Tyson Fury, I believe, has already opened up as a slight favorite. I believe he's like a minus one seventy, and Joshua was a slight underdog about. Plus, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much even, you know, it's the, you know, how the, the betting goes, they open up the line a certain way to get action.
1: From, yeah.
0: Um, from one side or the other. So um, but L- definitely Tyson Fury deserves to be the favorite. But yes, Joshua is as live of an underdog as it gets.
1: Listen, man, you know, I, I don't want to fat shame Andy Ruiz because I got fat for a little while, too. I know what it's like to be fat. But the second fight, like, I can't gauge Joshua's performance. Yes, he came back from being knocked out and psychologically – that is a damaging thing in the first fight what he suffered against Andy Ruiz. And credit to Andy. Like, he got off the mat and he knocked uh, Joshua out. And that's pretty amazing. That's very impressive. The second fight, you know, he had a very, very not in shape. I'm going to put it politely, okay? I'm not going to go all Pedro Fernandos here because you know what Pedro would say. <laughs> off the rails on this. So my thing is that I'm going to be nice to Mr. Andy Ruiz. Is that he wasn't in the best shape? We can face facts. Yeah. And Anthony Joshua. It's
0: not that he wasn't in the best shape. He wasn't in shape.
1: He wasn't in shape. He was, he was he was just a big shape. Yeah. You know what's that movie, The Great White Hype, when you know, uh Damon Wayne's character and the trainer's like, you know, you gotta get yourself in shape. He's like, I'm in shape, I'm round. That's <laughs> that's pretty much what he was. Get the champs some peanut brittle ice cream, you know. Like, what is going on? So I'm watching this thing, and you know what the what's crazy is that despite Ruiz not being in shape, he touched Joshua and he hit him. Joshua got hit quite a bit during that thing, and that was concerning to me. I'm like, okay, you know, this guy's out of shape, you're clearly out boxing him. Why are you getting hit? Think about Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis would not allow that sort of thing. You know, Joshua has a tendency to stick too much
0: on the inside. What what happened was, what I saw there, his tactics were correct, but you could kind of tell that he was uncomfortable with the tactics. So it was very new to him to fight in that manner, but he was successful doing it. So I I did like to see that, and I would like to um, see if he could – improve on those tactics and I think he will because I did see some of that against Pulev also he, he was a little bit more defensively responsible when he was attacking he wasn't just um you know if he thought he had his opponent a little buzz he just didn't unload you know um he didn't he didn't just go for for everything you know he, he didn't get over either,
1: You could say you know, it. he didn't shoot his load
0: he didn't shoot his load that's what i was looking for. Um yeah he he he, he took his time a little bit better, you know? and he, he respected, gave respect to his opponents and just showed a little bit more of a boxing IQ um, than he did against, in the Ruiz fight, the first one where he just figured, you know, and, and, I, and I've seen that with him in multiple fights. I saw that against uh, Dylan White. Um, he got a little bit reckless there. Um, I believe there was another fight where he, uh, oh, against Pavetkin, I think he Kalichko. made a couple, couple big mistakes against Klitschko. so I mean, yeah, he's, he's definitely shown a lot of vulnerabilities. So against Tyson Fury, he's really—I mean, he—he ha- he can't really be making too many mistakes. Uh, Tyson Fury obviously is not a huge puncher, but he showed against Deontay Wilder. I, I mean, he's very versatile and he has multiple. Uh, facets to uh, how we can approach a game game planning for a fight
1: well the thing about tyson fury what he'll do is he knows pressure points he knows where to hit you he'll hit you on a temple hit you on the ear he makes you very uncomfortable you don't need to be the best strongest puncher on the planet but if you know where to hit someone like that matters you know and if you look at what happened in the second fight with wilder you know he he hit him on a great spot that totally discombobulated him, threw his equilibrium off, and made him weird the entire fight. And that—that's the art of fighting. Now it could be coincidence, it could be luck, it could be, you know, set of circumstance, whatever. But I mean, to be able to do that is incredible. Uh, you mentioned before we close out, you mentioned uh, White. We got White and Pavetkin two coming up on Saturday. Uh, what's your, I I I like Dillian White, even though he's got. He's got problems, you know. It's like a little chinny last one. But what do you think about this fight?
0: Um, I mean, it's it's definitely a fight where obviously the um, the favorite from the first fight um, is getting his rematch because he was definitely on it looked like he was on his way to a knockout, and pretty much he just got knocked out out of nowhere. I mean, it was a one punch knockout, knockout of the year type shot, and. I believe Pavetkin was recovering from COVID. So, um, I've had COVID myself. My wife has had it. Uh, different people recover in different ways. Um, I had a very mild symptoms. Um, my wife, on the other hand, had some very serious uh, symptoms. Uh, her condition worsened over a, a three-week period. She did have to go to the hospital um, uh, to stay overnight uh, to get, you know, some some medicine and whatnot. And he had a, a recovery period afterwards. So it's pretty quick to be in a prize fight after that. And, and from what I know, he was he was somebody that had – he was sick. He wasn't somebody that just had mild symptoms. He was pulled out of the fight, and he was sick for quite some time. And I believe have also had a similar situation as well. So when you saw him this past weekend, he didn't look like himself, like he – he had really had a a good training camp. So, um, I mean, regardless of even that, I'm just bringing that into the picture of something to look at. Um, Povetkin is kind of, he's I believe he's 40 years old. Um, That that was his last stand to me. And I I think Dylan White, if Dylan White is going to go anywhere in the heavyweight division, he's got to win this fight. He's got to win it impressively. he's had so many fights where he's kind of eeked them out against i guess you could say contenders or potential slightly world class opposition like his fights with Joseph Parker that probably could have went either way his his fights with Derek Chisora um he seems like he's been on the cusp of a title shot for probably like the last like 3 years 3 or 4 years i mean this is somebody that I give him a lot of credit because most guys just want to fight complete stiffs on their way to a title shot. And they will sit on that mandatory ranking. But this guy is willing to fight anybody. So I'm going to give him credit. I think he's going to win the fight. I wish him all the best. And if Pavekin can pull another trick out of his uh, his bag, more power to him. I just don't think it's going to happen this time. I think his, uh, this is his last stand here.
1: When you suffer knockouts, you know, like White had, um, especially during the COVID testing positive, like we don't know what that does as an end result. And thankfully, you and your wife are fine. And I've had a lot of friends that have dealt with the COVID and it's uh, affected them in different ways. We won't know until like maybe several months down the line. I'm like, that's another story for another time. Um, I like Dillian White. I I think he's got uh, a great left hook. I think he's a strong fighter. I think he's a passionate fighter. I think he's vulnerable and uh, especially suffering, like coming off a knockout like that, man, that is really, really hard. It's really, really hard to recover. Like we've seen it time and time again, the sport of boxing where guys aren't the same. I mean, um, the first thing that comes to mind, look at Fernando Vargas back in the day against Felix Trinidad. He suffered two knockdowns in the first round of that fight. Amazing fight, by the way. Uh, Drops Trinidad in the fourth round, incredibly, and they went on to fight one of the greatest fights I've ever seen, you know, um, on pay-per-view. I wasn't there alive, but I, I saw it on pay-per-view, witness. And all my friends are around. It was a barn burner, man. It was crazy. And you get to the 12th round, Fernando gets dropped almost immediately by a left hook that, I thought his head was going to fall off, okay? And then he gets up, and then he keeps fighting, and then, you know, Trinidad keeps putting the hurt on him. And then well, –
0: that's, that's uh, I, I, I get your point. Uh, where yeah. You know, I, I, but I think that Dylan White knockout was – he wasn't really taking a whole, like, really – One-hit
1: quitter. Yeah. One-hit quitter. But, yeah.
0: But, mind you, uh, but to agree with you there, Dylan White is pretty much in a fucking brawl. Every single time he's in the ring.
1: Yes, that's what I'm getting at. He's a brawler.
0: A lot of miles on him, but Pivetkin also has a lot of miles on him. So, well, he's uh, he's
1: old, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, (laughs) I I I mean, here I'm just I'm just gonna go with the younger guy. I mean, the first fight, I I think everybody was picking Dylan White. Also, Um, but he can't count Pivetkin out because I mean, he's a former Olympic gold medalist. He's a former world champion. Um, He's definitely a world class level. Operator, he's only has, uh, I believe, what two losses to Anthony Joshua and to uh, Vladimir Klitschko. So I mean, he's no, he's no pushover. I, I think people are really, you know, and I, I think that happened. You know, people kind of counted him out just because he hasn't been that active. So um it hasn't really beaten a whole lot of significant opponents in the last few years. So you're kind of your memory gets a little bit short when it comes to him but you have to look at who he lost to not necessarily that he lost
1: and that's a great point what do they say out of sight (laughs) out of mind you know like like, like, that that's what happens yeah even for me like we we you know cover the sport at nauseam we we're always looking at things but it's like sometimes someone asks me about a fighter i'm like wait who What? Who's coming back? I haven't seen them fight in almost a year. And that's the problem with boxing that we need to correct nowadays, guys. Any fighters that are listening, and I know a lot of fighters that are out there earning their keep, and that's the time for them to do it because that's what's keeping the content going and keeping the needle moving forward. But I'm talking about big names, guys. Come back. Let's go. What are we doing? It's been over a year or plus since we've seen, like, really, really meaningful fights. Like, yes, we've seen great fights. And, yes, we've seen passionate fighters. But I think we're at a time right now where we need to see some names come back. You know, baseball's done it. The NFL's done it. NBA's done it. You know, a lot of sports. UFC, a lot of sports are doing it. Fucking bare knuckles are doing it. Like, they're putting their best out there that they can. Like, boxing, the top names where are you now
0: yeah i feel you um wow john anything else to talk about or uh
1: no dude i think that's it i think we covered everything we recapped and again uh tribute to uh the marvelous one uh marvin Hagler. i mean he is probably i i think in my top 10 favorite fighters of all time uh And it it goes and pays tribute to what I was talking about just now about wanting fighters to step up. Like, people should look at this man. He fought everyone. Four kings, bro. You know, he, he had no hesitation and no fear in fighting anyone at any point in time. And people would say, you know, money was different then. They were a little bit more hungry and starving. They were more hungry and starving because they had balls. You know, and I need fighters nowadays to show a little bit more of that. And if anyone has a problem hearing that, that is a fighter, come see me and tell me about like what complications you have about that. Because it's like Eddie Murphy said in Raw, what have you done for me, Eddie, lately? You know, like <laughs> Janet Jackson said, What have you what where is everybody? Where the fuck? Where did everyone go? It's like hitting the lights and the crickets like are in your house or rather not cockroaches. And then they just psh, 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 bounce. Yeah. COVID hit. Where are my fighters? Like, think about like people ask me all the time, like who, who should I be following? I'm like, I like Terrence Crawford. I like, uh, this guy, that guy, well, what was the last time they fought? Or what was the next time they fight? I'm like, I don't know. I have no fucking clue. Yeah, think- <laughs> you know, it's like, where it's are th- they?
0: I think it's a huge problem. Um, it's definitely something that we could talk about next time. Um
1: Just is what I- you get with the sauce, guys. Yeah, you get you get yeah. the sauce.